Should Christians allow little differences in doctrine to divide the church? It happens quite frequently, unfortunately, but Pastor Ed Taylor says it sets a very bad example for the unsaved around us. I can't tell you how many people will come to me and say, Ed, I want you to take a side. You've got to tell me, which side are you? Do you believe in this? Are you a, an Arminian? Are you a Calvinist? What are you, Ed? Tell me. I, I need to know. I need to know which one you are. But I'll tell you, I don't think we need to take sides in this matter. I think it's a trap of the enemy to get Christians to fight against each other. I think it's something that the enemy uses to divide the body. So, uh, you know, you guys are this over there, so I don't know if we can hang out with you. And Well, you guys are this over there, so we're going to have our little church right here. We're going to have our little church right here. And then the world's going to look at us and say, what is that all about? This is amazing grace. And welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Great to have you along today as we again turn to the book of Romans. Romans has often been called the gospel of grace. Today, Pastor Ed will again explore the Christian life as it pertains to our faith and our assurance. Many people today, including a lot of Christians, tend to want to do everything themselves instead of relying on the God of the universe. Sounds rather silly, doesn't it? But it's actually occurring at an alarming rate Here's Pastor Ed. We live in an age of numbers, don't we? You sign up for something and now you have a new identity. You're XYZ, 456783924. Wait, 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 I gotta write that down. You know, and churches grow. And sometimes as you find yourself in a growing church, you might think, well, I'm just another number. I'm probably somewhere in some list somewhere as another number. I'm one, two, three, four, whatever it might be in the church. And then you go to work and they give you a new ID. And what's on your ID? Well, you got another number to remember. I'm five, five, employee, seven, eight, three, nine, nine. And you're all on and on and on and on and on and on. And it's easy, it's easy to get lost in the mass of this loss of identity in our world. Everybody wants to peg you as something. Everybody wants to identify you by, you know, this social security number, this driver's license number, the bank you're something, at work you're something. But I'll tell you, in the church, I want you to be reminded that you're not just some number to the Lord. He doesn't identify you as the one that always sits in the green chair. That's not you at all. You know, oh, I'm just somebody. You know, the church is growing around me. And in the early days when we were much smaller, I was able to know everybody. And, well, when the church is four people, you can know everybody in the church. When the church is five people and it makes up of me, my wife, and my three kids, it's not hard to know. Hey, Eddie, I know you. How you doing? But as the church grows, remember, we're part of something much larger than our fellowship. There are literally billions of people that call upon the name of the Lord. That's good. It's, amazing. Oh, it's awesome. And each of those billions, well, let's bring it home. Each of you hundreds, the Lord knows you personally and intimately. Not as some number, but by your name. He knows you inside and out. It's one of the reasons why Bible study can make you nervous. As I'm teaching, you're like, what? Did he read my mail this week? I mean, I saw somebody lurking around the mailbox. Was it Ed? Was he checking my email? You know, was he following me around? No. 
I can't follow you around. Some of you need to be followed around, but I can't follow you around. But the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit reads your mail. He knows your email, what you receive and what you send. <laughs> he knows the email that you typed and you said, oh, I'm not going to send it. But it was your heart anyway. Like, oh, I won't send it. But you felt that way. And the Lord's dealing with your heart. And he follows you. You're not just a number. I think God has built into every one of us this desire to belong. This desire to know that there's purpose in our life. There's direction in our life. Not only to belong here, but to know that in the eyes of the creator, I matter. And you do. You're not just a number to the Lord. You're not here by accident. It wasn't just the whim of some uncaring, unloving, uninterested, uninvolved God somewhere out there, way out there. I'll never meet him, never know him. But rather, God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son so that whoever, whichever of us would believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't say that he loves this mass of nobodies but that he loves you. You can jot it down. Look it up later in Jeremiah chapter 29. God himself would say, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. I have a purpose for you. A good direction, a good end. They're not evil thoughts. They're good thoughts. And really that's where Paul is in this chapter. Beginning in Romans, he's talking about the gospel. Look at verse 3. It says the gospel concerns his son, Jesus Christ, the good news that your sins can be forgiven. It's all about Jesus. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Romans 1 verse 4 goes on to say, and declare to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead through whom we've received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom also you are the called, you might just want to mark that word, called of Jesus Christ to all who are in Rome, beloved, you might want to mark that as well, of God called to be saints. Wow. You're called. Believers, you're called. Chosen is a word that's used in other parts of the New Testament. You're chosen, you're called to be saints. The audience that Paul writes to are called saints. Do you know believers are saints? You're a saint. If it helps you at all when you're praying, I know a lot of times I hear from you, you're praying for Pastor Ed, praying for Pastor Ed. Well, why don't you this week just one time pray for Saint Edward? <laughs> kind of help you along a little bit. You'd be right. Saint now, some of you, of course, might have been raised in a religious tradition where in your mind, saints, you're immediately drawn to something and someone you will never attain to. You'll never be a saint because they've immortalized them in their minds. They've made little statues of them and made little necklace of them. And you've got saint him and saint them. And, and you know, you're looking at saints. You're like, I'll never be a saint. I mean, look at me. I'm, I mean, I'm barely able to get my devotions. and I'm barely able to get through saint me saint. I'll never be a saint. Oh, Ed, he's a saint. That's right, St. Edward. Yeah, yeah, he's a pastor. He should be a saint. He better be a saint. He better not be messing around. He's a saint, man. Ed, he must glow in the dark at night. No lights needed in the Taylor home. You know, he must float around. You know, he doesn't walk anywhere. He just kind of floats. A little bit of a little halo over his head. No, 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 no. We as believers are saints. Oh, hey, 
Set aside St. Edward for a minute and just think of you and your name. You are a saint. Saints aren't up here. Saints are right here. Saints aren't, well, you got to perform a few miracles, do I live a perfect life, never have any problems. No way. A believer is a saint. Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, you guys are called to be saints. He writes to the church in Aurora, you're saints. Called to be saints. It's a wonderful truth of election. To be called, to be chosen. And it's so cool. To be called and chosen of the Lord. God's choosing us to be his children. How encouraging can that be? You know, you think of salvation. Let me just tell you, none of us found God. Sometimes we talk about salvation that way, right? I found the Lord. Yes, I found the Lord. Hey, God's not lost. It's like, oh, no, where am I? We didn't find God. He found you. Isn't that cool? He found you in the depths of despair. He found you with a religious upbringing. He found you in a very godly. He found you. We didn't find God. And he chose you. A person can seek and a person can search and a person can look for God their entire lives and never find him. But God can find you. He found me back in 1991. I mean, I was in a place in my life, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't need God. I mean, I'm, I'm messed up, but I'm not that messed up. I mean, the really messed up people need God. I just, you know, make a few little changes and I'll be just fine. But God, he was pursuing me. It's like he's pursuing you. He's a patient pursuer, a persistent pursuer. That's why when you sit under the teaching of God's word, you listen to on the radio, you got a CD in your lap, in your car, listen to an MP3 on your computer, and you're like, wait a minute, this guy knows who I am, and I know he doesn't know who I am. How could he possibly know what's going on in my heart? How could he possibly know me? And the Lord says, I know you. I know you, and I want you. Oh, you can run away from God. Go ahead. I want to introduce you to a guy named Jonah. Just imagine Jonah. What a trip it must have been to be eaten by a fish. Poor guy. He heard the word of the Lord. He's, oh, I'm, I'm running away from God. And then God's got that fish. If you run away from the Lord, you better stay away from the fish section, you know. It's like, oh, what happened? You know, the men are not going to go on the fishing trip now. <laughs> Well, Pastor Ed, we took 100 out there, but only brought 80 back. <laughs> hey, don't worry. You'll get vomited up somewhere. It's all right. <laughs> oh, you can run from God, but he'll pursue you. You can run from his love. You can take off and say, no, 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 I don't want you, God. Some of you might have even run in here today. Isn't that great? You've run into a church. <laughs> You're running away from God, and here you are with a bunch of Christians around you loving you and caring for you. You thought it was a school, huh? <laughs> it's a church. We love the Lord here, and we love you. To call, be called to the Lord, man. How happy I am that God opened my eyes. How happy I am and encouraged I am that he'll pursue you. You can run, and you can run, and you can run, and God, he never tires to pursue the lost. That's why we don't give up praying for our friends and family, right? We don't give up praying for those that we work with. We don't give up praying for those that we know because God loves to pursue. He sent his only begotten son. He's made the way of escape available to everyone who will look to him to be saved. 
How happy I am that the Lord opened my eyes. How happy I am that God opened your eyes. How happy I am, how encouraging it is to know that I've been chosen and called by God. The doctrine of election, that you and I, we've been chosen. Chosen. It's really encouraging and comforting to those of you that might feel like you've never been chosen for anything, that you've been passed over. I mean, throughout your whole life, it just seems like you've been passed over here, you've been passed over here, but with God, you've been chosen. I do need to warn you, though, when we begin to talk about the doctrine of election, which will come up many times in the book of Romans, that there are those that like to argue over this particular doctrine, usually in two camps. You might hear the camps defined as those that really cling to the sovereignty of God. Believe me, the Bible teaches God's sovereignty. You got a camp over here, God's sovereign. He is. Then there's another camp over here that says, well, man has free will. And believe me, the Bible teaches that man has free will. And these two camps have polarized against each other. You may not hear it in the terms of God's sovereignty and man's free will. You might hear it in terms of the men that have really crystallized the doctrines on either side. A man by the name of Jacobus Arminius. You might hear it as extreme Arminianism. Or, on the other hand, in relation to God's sovereignty, you might be referred to a man by the name of John Calvin, one of the great reformers. And you might hear it referred to as Calvinism. And those are the camps today. Let's, let's go ahead and argue over the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Two great errors in extreme Arminianism, extreme Calvinism. For instance, if you're taking notes, extreme Arminianism is the doctrine that says, I'm saved and I'm lost. I'm saved and I'm lost. I'm saved and I'm lost. I'm not really sure if I'm saved today. I'm saved today, lost tomorrow. I've got to get saved again. And it all depends on man. That's extreme Arminianism. It's all you. Salvation's up to you. You better toe the line. You got to toe the line. You got to go. Come on. You got to work. You got to keep it up or else you won't really know if you're saved. They teach that salvation is dependent upon us holding on to the Lord. You hold on as tight as you can and you'll make it in. And if we let go, we're lost. Oh, but that's not what the Bible says. Flip over to John chapter 10 for a second. That's not what the Bible says. You hold on to the Lord. Oh, yes, hold on to the Lord. But the truth is, he's holding on to you. <laughs> you know, that's walking my kids across the street. They're three years old. I'm not trusting they're going to hold on to my hand. I might let them hold on to my pinky, but I'm grabbing their arm, you know. They can hold on to me all they want. And they may just hold on to the, we go across the street, but in case they let go, I've got them. Well, look at John chapter 10, verse 27. He's holding on to us, Amen. True. Look at verse 27. John's Gospel, chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. That's encouraging. That's one extreme. The other extreme would be extreme Calvinism, or you might hear it referred to as hyper-Calvinism. And this is the idea, this is the doctrine that's being taught that says that God has only saved a certain amount of people. And that's it. If you're not in that amount, tough luck. They would say that some are just born to die and spend eternity apart from the Lord, that there's no hope for them. That the gospel could go to them, but there is no opportunity for them to make a decision because they've been predestined never to believe. 
And the emphasis is, hey, if you haven't been chosen from eternity, then you're going to be lost for all of eternity. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible screams out just the opposite. Look at John, well, John chapter 4, verse 14. There are so many whoever's in the scripture that today you might be a whoever. You might be one. In the Bible, the Bible screams out from the voice of the Lord, whoever. You might be that whoever. Look at John 14, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You can jot it down, John's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 26. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Isn't that the question to you today? Do you believe this? Oh, the extremes. They get us so off point, don't they? They get us so caught up in arguing and fighting. You might hear some def- look at this discussion of theology and call it an in-house debate. It's an in-house debate. You know, only Christians really argue about this. And I'll tell you, the Christians that argue about it are wasting their time when there's a lost and dying world that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So maybe you're caught up in one side or the other. Maybe you're struggling with one or you're, and, and I'll tell you, as you're digging in and as you're going for it, there are people literally around you that need to hear the love of Jesus Christ and God has chosen you to bring the message to them. I can't tell you how many people will come to me and say, Ed, I want you to take a side. You've got to tell me, which side are you? Do you believe in this? Are you a, an Arminian? Are you a Calvinist? What are you, Ed? Tell me. I, I need to know. I need to know which one you are. But I'll t- I don't think we need to take sides in this matter. I think it's a trap of the enemy to get Christians to fight against each other. I think it's something that the enemy uses to divide the body. So, uh, you know, you guys are this over there, so I don't know if we can hang out with you. And, well, you guys are this over there, so we're going to have our little church right here, and we're going to have our little church right here, and then the world's going to look at us and say, what is that all about? It was God who so loved this world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever, that's a pretty big word, isn't it? Who do you think whosoever refers to? It's so simple. I think it refers to whosoever believes in him. I not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't think we need to take sides. Why don't you flip over with me to Joshua chapter 5? We get a great insight of this, great picture of Joshua here. Joshua chapter 5. Joshua's just taken over the leadership of the nation of Israel, and he's afraid. Do Christians ever get afraid, guys? <laughs> it's like way too, much, way too much in my book. Fearful and wrestling with these fears and these feelings, Joshua. He's just going through it. He's not sure what to do. He's not sure what direction to go. He's not sure which side to take. He's, oh, he's just overwhelmed. And this whole argument over these doctrines can be overwhelming. When the Bible clearly teaches the sovereignty of God and the Bible clearly teaches the free will of man. So which side should we take, Pastor Ed? Well, look at verse 13, Joshua chapter 5. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man 
stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. This man is none other than Jesus Christ appearing to Joshua before his birth there in Bethlehem. It's what's called a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And he comes himself to encourage Joshua. And he comes with sword in hand. So it's a great question to ask that Joshua has. You see a guy, you're out ready to do battle and a guy shows up with a sword. You want to know, are you with us? Are you for us or are you against us? Are you for me or are you with my adversaries? And the answer, the answer is so, so good, so sweet for Jesus. He says in verse 14, so he said, no. And that was his answer. Which side are you on? Nope. Not going to go there. He says, no. But as commander of the army of the Lord, he says, I'm here on the authority of the Lord. I I'm here for him. I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped him and said, what does my Lord say to his servant? So, Ed, what side are you on? I just want to be on the Lord's side. I, I just want to follow. I, I, I have a hard time reconciling these two. But God's never called me to reconcile them. Just teach them. So when we come through the scriptures, we see the great sovereignty of God. We're going to teach the great sovereignty of God. Then we come to the scriptures that say, you know, man, you have an obligation to obey. Look at chapter 1 back in Romans. We have received grace and apostleship for obedience. And so when we talk about sin and obedience, then I'm going to emphasize to you what the scriptures say, that you exercise your free will and obey the Lord wholeheartedly. So what are you, Ed? Are you an Arminian? Are you a Calvinist? I'm neither. No. We really try to walk down the middle because I can see value, both, I can see great value in, in elements of both systems of theology. I can see great value. And so, you know, we're neither Arminian, we're neither Calvinist, we're somewhere down the middle. I guess, you know, you could call us Calvarminian or something. I don't know. Calvarminian. But I'll tell you, the emphasis here is the emphasis here is to preach the gospel. And to teach the word with passion and zeal and point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter already told us that we were chosen. You can jot it down in 1 Peter chapter 1. That we were elect according to the foreknowledge of God. The purpose of his choosing was his foreknowledge. He chose you not based on something in you, but by his own sovereign will. He chose you and me. I think the election of God is a glorious mystery. And yet we can take comfort in the truth that God does choose. Someone once wisely said, try to explain election and you'll lose your mind trying to bring them all together. However, try to explain it away and you might lose your soul. It's a great truth. Even though we may not understand it totally, completely, the Bible says that God elected me before the foundation of the world apart from anything I did or didn't do. Flip over to John's Gospel, chapter 15. Jesus says something powerful here in John's gospel, chapter 15. Draw your attention to verse 16, the choosing of God. It is God's prerogative to choose, and he does. Listen to Jesus, John 15, verse 16. God elected us from the before the foundation of the world, not based on anything we've ever done. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we, while we were still yet dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for the ungodly. Well, look at John 15, 16. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. God's sovereignty. You didn't choose me, I chose you. 
And that should make each of us feel very special. God chose you. We're in the book of Romans right now on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And if you missed any portion of today's message, you can simply go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another convenient way to get these daily studies is by signing up to receive the free Abounding Grace podcast. That, too, is available when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also offer an app that makes listening to Pastor Ed super easy on your mobile devices. Download the free app today by searching for Calvary Church Aurora. Maybe you've noticed God has always been interested in turning unlikely people into a faithful follower, from prostitutes to tax collectors and even normal everyday fishermen. In the book, Jesus Revolution, Pastor Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn recall a time when there was a great spiritual awakening. God transformed an unlikely generation, and Pastor Greg and Ellen believe God can do it again. We'd like to send you a copy of Jesus Revolution for your gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call 877-30-GRACE and we can process your order right away. That's 877-30-GRACE. Here at Abounding Grace, we're continually reminded that God is doing a great work through the radio. I wish you could see all the letters and the emails and calls that we receive testifying of that. If you'd like to help us in our endeavor to get the word out all over the world, please visit AboundingGraceRadio.com. Simply click on Donate, and you can make a secure donation today. We'll return to Romans next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.